Hi, everybody. Um, this is the third episode of the Skies and Currents podcast. I'm Christina Funkhauser, and I'm here with Teresa Olfa. Hello. <laughs> um, we are going to talk about the astrology of October primarily. Um, we want to talk about the upcoming week, but since I'm about to go traveling uh, for a month, I wanted to sort of project into the future and give a little update for all the period of time that I'm going to be gone in Nepal because it makes complete sense that we launched a podcast like two <laughs> weeks before I'm about to leave for a month because we're geniuses. <laughs> but I, I really appreciate um, all the positive feedback that we got. Sorry, I'm a little bit sick, so you're probably going to hear it in my voice today. Um, but everyone, we, it was so nice. So thank you to everyone that listened and downloaded and reached out with notes. It was really, really kind. And um, this is outside of both of our comfort zone. Is that fair to say, Christina? Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> <Very much> so. <laughs> it's outside of our comfort zone. So it was really appreciated. So thank you. I feel like the, the only reason I can actually do this is because I'm just talking to my best friend. Like, I am so I've always been so mortified of public speaking. And especially in this context, just speaking to an amorphous digital public mm -hmm. is very scary to me and i don't like recording my voice is very scary and we even tried to do this like two years ago and i think it was a really good episode that we recorded my friend leah brought it up the other day she was like mm -hmm. do you guys have that original thing you recorded you should put it out and i'm like i don't know it disappeared i can't find yeah the audio. I, I can't find it either but i'll try to look again yeah, Leah says she thinks she has it somewhere, but oh. I'm like, that would be I don't good. know how that could be. Because it, it was really good, but I just panicked. Like, I listened to it, and I was like, absolutely not. This yeah, I think this I had the same happen. feeling. Like, I don't think we should do this. You know what's funny is, I it just, I as you were saying that, I just remembered that I think you and I met at, like, speech club. Oh, my I think God, that we did. <laughs> you were great ahead of me, so that's why we didn't have any classes together. Um until we had filmed together later. But uh, yeah, we met in speech club, which is kind of hilarious now. <laughs> that is so weird to think about. Oh my God. And I wasn't as nervous about it back then, like in high school, but I don't really understand what speech club was or how I don't I either. And I don't it. remember why I had any interest in it or what it, yeah, I don't remember either. It wasn't really like debating or giving no. speeches. It was like some sort of poor man's like theater thing because we were doing more like theater. Oh, that must have pieces. been why. That was why I was there. Why were you there? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Oh, you know what? I, I think it was because a teacher who liked me was the uh, the the um organizer or the uh -oh. teacher yeah. of the speech club group and she like recruited me and I was I was like a freshman um when I was in her class and I had come to public high school from like my super tiny private Christian school with seven kids in the class and two of them were my cousins so <laughs> when I came to public school I was totally overwhelmed and mortified and my freshman year I was really really shy and I think this teacher noticed that about me and wanted me to 
join her club because I think she thought it would help me maybe. Um, but I remember seeing you and Colin in speech club together and thinking that you were really cool. And really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember. I thought you guys were very I cool. Didn't, I did not feel cool <laughs> at any point. <laughs> yeah but i guess i guess we karmically began something by meeting each other that way and now we're bringing it to fruition 20 years later i know i'm gonna try not to well and it's what's funny is that i'm not i'm not from california you know i'm from utah but our grand our our parents went to high school together and our gra- know, and it's very weird. likely that our grandparents knew each other. Yeah. Oh my God. You're right. Yeah. Because my, my dad went to high school with your dad and mm-hmm. your uncle, and he remembers your grandma from mm-hmm. her unclear involvement in the wrestling team. I'm not really. It was never clear exactly what her role is, but she told me many times that she remembered my dad from wrestling, even though he wasn't actually on the wrestling team. But he would go and wrestle in the uh, practices or something. I don't know. It was very unclear. But they definitely knew each other. So we're just continuing a pattern of being in a circumstance that doesn't actually make sense for either person to be there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Two people who don't like public speaking doing a podcast together uh, about astrology and spirituality. The astrology and spirituality part, that makes sense. Yeah. So... And a lot of the well, other times I've met you. Fun. Yeah, I'm sorry. We could go back in time forever. But um, no, I mean, a lot, most things have made sense, a lot of sense since then. But the initial meeting, very fun. Yeah. <laughs> very out of the box. Um, okay, so astrology. Um, this week, my biggest takeaway is that it's like a very low chi, low energy week. I don't know if everyone is feeling that. I'm blaming it on Mars, but I feel just really exhausted. My body feels inexplicably tired, um, inexplicably sore, mm-hmm. and as if I've like exerted way more than I actually have. Um, and I feel like this is unfortunately a signature of this particular Libra season, which started on Friday. Yeah, I've had several people ask me if they're if I think there's something wrong with their bodies or their diet because they've had inexplicably low energy for the past few days, like no reason for it. I mean, I have several reasons, so I'm like low energy because I'm sick, but um I've heard that from some several other people. Yeah, and also certain people I know who typically have boundless energy or are you know extremely um able to push through all sorts of activities without a lot of blowback normally have expressed to me recently like I don't think I can do this anymore (laughs) what I I must be getting older I'm, I'm hearing this a lot in the ether and I think this is a function of Mars being in detriment so A big signature of this particular Libra season, which started last Friday. Today is Monday, September 25th. And last Friday, the sun moved into Libra from Virgo. And um, which 
which means that the sun has shined its light. That's what the sun does. It illuminates, has shined its light into the section of the sky that contains Libra um, or that what we consider to be Libra. And Mars is in Libra right now with K2 because it is eclipse season, which we'll talk a lot about um, on today's episode. But Mars is considered to be in detriment in Libra. Mars is the planet of taking action. A lot of our personal energy and force comes from Mars. Mars is the the directionality of the ego. It's doing things in the world. It is taking the personal desire and transforming it into action in the world. So when Mars is in not a great position in the sky, sometimes our energy levels can just fall. And Mars in Libra is in a particular sort of predicament because Libra is Venus's sign, and it's a place where we're supposed to do Venusian work of balancing the social strata. So Libra is all about bringing social groups into balance. It's all about the rules of society. It's about identifying the needs of each individual in a group or each uh part of a society and bringing it into harmony. Um, and this is the opposite of what Mars likes to do, which is to not consider necessarily a group dynamic, to not consider other people, but to, to act according to one's own desire and to promote the, promote the needs of the self and the desires of the self. So we get this condition of Mars being in detriment in Libra because he is completely unsuited or in many ways unsuited to the qualities of this sign and to this sign's uh, primary function. So when Mars comes into Libra, we feel like a drop in energy, a drop in our chi, but we also feel the conflicts around taking action just inherently because every action has a reaction (laughs) and Libra is a place where we want to keep balance, to keep anything from flying into discord of any kind um, or flying out of balance. So yeah, so we're, we're, we're in this, Mars drag and the sun has just sort of moved into a place where he is going to illuminate this martial condition. Does that make sense? Yeah. So does that mean that we'll, that the low energy is about to become even more so because the sun's illuminating that? Yeah. So Uh, that the illumination of that sort of low energy just, started last Friday when the sun moved into the sign, but it's sort of spiraling into what we're, we are hurtling toward eclipse season, which is going to bring a whole other layer to that low energy because eclipse season tends to bring a murky 
um, discomfort. (laughs) So it's sort of like emotional discomfort and emotional murkiness and a lack of clarity as a layer on top of low physical energy and uh, low capacity to engage in conflict or to take action. So the two of those things combined, I think, just make for a particular a particularly downbeat Libra season, at least until Mars moves um, into Scorpio on the 11th. Okay, so that's not too far away. But we shouldn't make any big, huge plans if we can avoid it until then. (laughs) Even though I feel like a lot of people probably already have made plans just because... I don't know. Actually, maybe not a lot of people. Maybe just me. (laughs) I'm about to take a huge trip. So I feel like, oh, God, am I going to have the energy to rise to the amazing um, opportunities I'm going to have? But I think it'll I think it's okay for me. But it's yeah, it's definitely a a downbeat kind of week or two weeks or so. So maybe you'll just get some really good sleep on the airplane. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) That would be great. Um, But yeah, so basically this week, um, I think the biggest signature this week is this full moon that's happening. That's happening on Friday, Friday here in in the West Coast. Um, And this full moon is ruled by Mars. So it's a full moon in Aries ruled by Mars in detriment. So a lot of this, everything we just described, <laughs> the, the sort of low energy uh, predicament of Mars is infused into this full moon. Um, but there's another sort of particular condition of this full moon, which is that it's sharing a sign with Chiron and Rahu. Um, and so it's sort of just like a little bit of a bummer of a full moon. What Chiron does is he tends to highlight places where we feel wounded or where we feel like we're not quite living up to our own standards or we're not quite enough. Um, so I feel like this full moon is going to highlight some of that and Rahu, being in the mix means that this is the first time we're getting a lunation or uh, you know a new moon or a full moon in the sign of Aries with Chiron and Rahu and Rahu tends to aggravate transits so all of that um, sort of sadness or trauma that's getting highlighted from the full moon with Chiron is uh feels like even more than usual. So it's sort of like, I I feel like what this full moon is, is it's a time when we should be feeling like the exaltation of a personal triumph, but we can't feel that because the circumstances or our internal feelings are making us uh, too critical of ourselves or get drawn into some narrative that we aren't good enough Mm -hmm. or that our achievements aren't good enough. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Um, for folks that aren't on the West Coast, would it land like, you know, um, on the East Coast? Is it going to land on like Thursday or Saturday? Oh, um, let me look. Let's see. This is the next lunation, new or full. That's going to be... Oh, I'm completely in the wrong year here. <laughs> Gonna skip way ahead. I was looking, so I was looking back at the Eclipse series from the last two years because I wanted to talk about that today. So my uh, calendar is all the way back in 2021. Um, but so this full moon. It's going to be September 29th on the West Coast at 2 a.m. So, no, it'll be Friday for sure. Solidly Friday for everybody in the United States. Uh, Mostly morning, Friday morning for folks. So, um, yeah, it's like it's interesting because this is when I was preparing for this episode, looking at this lunation, I was sort of alarmed at how... (laughs) how uncomfortable it looked i was like oh no this this full moon looks like it sucks <laughs> and um it's in my house of children and i was like oh no like is my son gonna i have an eight-year-old son um and i'm like is he gonna have like a meltdown is something gonna happen is he gonna be experiencing some you know traumatic condition like i got that sort of maternal fear happening and then I realized that we're going to be on an airplane for like 24 hours um, from Thursday to Friday. I was like, oh, no, he's just going to be really pissed off about being on an airplane. Which is fair. Yes. And it's nice yeah. to have a clear reason, right? Yeah. That the astrology is going to be hard. This is something I feel like we talk about a lot, which I find to be really helpful and surprising about astrology is like if there's a bad transit coming up it's almost always a boon to have a really literal container for that transit to manifest through mm-hmm. that is annoying and uncomfortable but not like life shattering shatteringly bad <laughs> so if it's like you're going to have a negative full moon but oh, you're just going to be on like a horribly long plane. It's like, oh, great. That's just, that's what it is. That's what's going to happen. It's just a predictably bad plane flight. Whereas if you don't necessarily have something literal like that, it could just be, you know, I just feel terrible and I'm having this surge of emotions and I can't figure out why. Yeah, I think it's nice to have, well, it's it's nice to know that the discomfort is productive i think in some way um and it's really hard when you kind of get into like like emotional pits because a lot of times you start feeling as though especially during these like big astrological momentous events it starts like it feels very real right like so the feelings feel like as as though they're reflecting reality um in a more genuine way which is not necessarily the case still, but it like feels so much. Yeah. I feel like you always say something that is really astute about astrology. And I've learned so much about how I want to practice astrology just from 
working with you, even though you're not an astrologer, but getting your intuitive take on everything helps so much. And you often say, look, the material world can't move as fast as the planets. So like 90% of astrology is always just going to be feelings, like how Mm -hmm. we feel about things. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's not unimportant or anything, but it is, um, you know, it's like, there's nothing, there's very few things that are going to like make or break you or really throw the rest of your life into a a completely different direction. It can happen, but it's very, very, very rare. But, but most astrologers, the way they talk about astrology, talk as though these opportunities are coming around like every few days, right? (laughs) Right, right. Well, that's like, that's, (laughs) that's like the whole thing about astrology that is so difficult to, for me to participate in, in this context, especially in the social media driven context, like, it's like this game of like, there's a full moon in Aries, like, what are all of the potentials of this full moon in Aries? And, you know, it's like trying to make people feel like every week, around every corner, there's this like big transformative opening moment. And it's just not, you know, I don't think that's like the most productive way to talk about astrology because it makes people feel like they should constantly be evolving in such an active manner that nobody could re- ever really keep up with. So much of this is just, it's processing our feelings, which is a really big work, but it's not necessarily going to translate into active reality constantly. I feel like it's interesting because um, I'm guessing that it's a lot of people in different professions have a similar sort of struggle with social media and with advertising where, um, you know, you're forced to present what you do in the most exciting way possible, which may or may not be completely genuine and then if you have it like with social media because you're supposed to be posting constantly there's almost no way that that can be genuine because i don't know of any single profession that's like you know max excitement all the time yeah no none <laughs> <laughs> like most of them have exciting things but not all the time not every day <laughs> My brother is in PR and he's always like, I just drives me crazy. This industry drives me crazy because my clients, you know, they, they want constant uh, attention and constant feedback and constant hits. And it's like, what are you doing that I'm supposed to promote? You're like, I can't promote nothing, you know? Right. And I just, I feel like astrology is um, particularly uh, susceptible to it though, because there are new transits every day and if people are not um astrologers it's very hard and to wade through what's important for you and what's not important for you well and that's And, and that's what you're really exceptionally good at i think is um looking at all those transits like all those many many moving parts and being like okay these are the ones that actually you might experience yeah well i guess what i try to do is think of like what is what's the thing in the sky that or the configuration in the sky that probably the most people are feeling the most acutely across a broad swath 
Um, and you always have to talk to an astrologer about your individual chart if you know, you really want to know what transits are hitting you most specifically. But in the collective, it's like, I'm looking at the skies right now. And I'm like, this, this Mars, this Mars is like, (laughs) I think we're all feeling this Mars right now. Um, And like with the Aries full moon, you know, it's just sort of a, it's a bummer of a full moon. It's not a catastrophic bummer, but it might hit people with Aries placements a lot harder or people with cardinal placements a lot harder. So, yeah. Um, so I think, I think the beginning of October is, has a little bit of, of a dragging sort of downer energy. Um, but I think that's normal for the buildup to an eclipse and this eclipse is pretty important because it's the first eclipse in Libra, which is going to initiate about 18 months of eclipses in Libra. So I think that the transit of Mars through the sign at this particular time in the lead up to the eclipse is important because it's indicating um some action that we need to take or something that needs to be cut out of our lives to prepare us for the next 18 months and the changes that are about to happen in this sign. So eclipses tend to initiate endings and new beginnings. And with this first eclipse in Libra, it looks like something has to end or something's got to give or something's got to break in this part of our life in order for the eclipse series to open up a series of uh, uh, open up a period of long-term growth and changes in the sign. Um, And it's interesting, Tess, because you were saying that like intuitively for October, you were, you're seeing a pattern with your clients. Like there was a building quality to something that has to sort of snap or break. Yeah. It was like just for certain people that happen to be very Venusian. And I don't know if what their signs or you know, anything like that, but I wouldn't be surprised if they have some kind of very strong Libra or Venus presence in their chart. Um, but it's like a social dynamic that like you were mentioning where um they've put a lot into it and now it's not being reciprocated or it's you know the other person's even treating them somewhat maliciously um and it's for me you know i try to be very impartial because i have a lot of trust that people are going to move through what they need to move through but there is like part of me that's slightly concerned just because it looks like an incredibly uncomfortable situation. And I know that for them in particular, it's like the most uncomfortable situation is having to fight for what you need. Um, and it looks like there's been sort of like a, not necessarily putting it off, but kind of like a dancing around it for, for like, so long and now it's like coming to a head and they can no longer ignore it they're going to be like the the necessity of it is going to outweigh the discomfort of it um 
and so they might have to be pushed into to, to some really scary conversations um, that might feel really risky. Um, right. I actually don't think, at least in these two cases, I don't think that they will be terribly risky, but they might, they're going to feel like life or death situations. Right. So I, when you told me that, I was just like, this is amazing intuitive insight because it's almost like a dense crystallization of like this eclipse energy because what I see happening, right, we're going to have eclipse on the south node in Libra on October 14th. And in Libra, we're trying to maintain balance within a social sphere. Um, It's, like I said, the sign of Venus. So in Libra, we're always sort of trying to avoid conflict right? Because instead of engaging in conflict, we're trying to um, sort of give a little bit here and give a little bit here and take a little bit here and just try to keep balance without ever sort of actively fighting. You know, it's, it's the art of the art of diplomacy, the art of hosting, the art of socializing. And Libras in general, one of the traits of Libra is a sort of fear of engaging in conflict um, and a fear of of not being liked, a fear of throwing anything, any social dynamic out of balance. And I've, I've talked to a lot of Libra clients recently around this eclipse about sort of the immense responsibility that they feel to keep everybody happy. (laughs) And I think that the opening sort of the, the opening theme of this eclipse series in Libra is really tied to this Mars transit, because what Mars is saying is something has gotten out of balance and there are no there's, it can't be fixed with small measures anymore. Like we have to attack it head on. We have to go into the situation with the intent of ripping the problem away and addressing it directly. Um, And that's just a really, really uncomfortable thing to do in this sign. Um, And I think that's part of the thematic behind the low energy vibes is this feeling of like, oh, we got to do something that is uncomfortable and we don't want to, or we're avoiding it. And, but the pain of avoiding it is becoming so much bigger than the actual event. So I think that it could be really helpful, especially for individuals that have a lot of placements in Libras or are Libras, but if if you're a little bit in, if you're engaged in astrology enough to look at where Libra is in your chart, it's worth taking a look to see just like what's got to what what is something that's got to give in this part of my life, because I have to remove that element or change my relationship to it or break it open so that I can grow with these eclipses um, in this eclipse series. Sorry, I've got my mic on mute because I'm like a disaster over here. But I think that all sounds um, 
accurate, and I don't think that it's going to be as intense as the previous two years of eclipse season. Um, and I wanted to ask you about this kind of like big, it feels almost like a big pendulum swing into balance as opposed to like, you know, balancing two bits of flour that are already on the scales, right? Like it feels like, oh, this is a massive pendulum swing that must happen. Um, do you see it kind of like that? I don't know if you want to talk about things that are more like, uh, transpersonal level or like global level but i'm inter but it is interesting to see like what can happen because it's almost like libra traditionally wants to avoid conflict and make like small adjustments in order to find out yeah. and this time it's like eclipse season in libra and it's gonna just like any kind of big imbalances are probably gonna get just yeah. slammed <laughs> no i think that's exactly right i think it's like a whole element needs to be removed. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not about balancing. We can't take a little bit away. We can't have small measures. We can't just like keep trying to angle around the conflict, which is, I think, what uh, we try to do in Libra a lot is is angle around the conflict and not to address it. Addressing things through diplomacy. That's that's a quality of of Libra, and in this case, with this Mars transit. And um, with K2 there. So K2 is the south node of the moon and, and eclipses occur when there's a lunation, a new or a full moon within 10 degrees of either K2 or Rahu. And K2 is the south node of the moon. And this is where it's a loss point. It's like a place where materiality sort of... Um, gets filtered out. So we lose parts of ourselves. We, we detach. K2 is uh, associated with spirituality and asceticism for this reason. It's like it, it helps us detach from the world. Um, but it can also be a loss point. It can be a point where um, injuries can occur. Um, deaths can occur. And I'm not, not saying that because I think that's going to be the primary um, effect of this eclipse by any means. But a lot of times there's something that we have to give up in our life. And if we refuse to give it up, then K2 can trigger losses that are bigger than what, you know, what we could have just willingly given up. So I think this is a moment where um, we, we have to sort of look at what's, what's going on in the social dynamics of our family, our friends, our um, jobs, um, you know, society, big society at large in the culture, whatever it is. Is there something that is blocking you, some, some relationship or orientation that you have, or some behavior you have, or some element that's external to yourself? a person, a toxic work environment, whatever it is, is there some element that is blocking you from making progress in that part of your life? It could be something as simple as, you know, being afraid of speaking in public and wanting to launch a podcast, you know, like it's, um, it can be something, uh, it can be a fear within yourself or it can be something external to yourself, but it's like that thing just needs to get annihilated. It needs to just get wiped out. Um, and there's no, there's no balancing it. K2 and Mars are conjoining and that is big 
um, big ripping energy. It's like Mars is just going to reap and reach into the fabric of some element of our life and cut something out. And K2 will just flush it down the drain. (laughs) So that's, I think you're exactly right. And and your intuition was spot on. And it was interesting to hear you talk about the clients, um, you know, in that, in that context. So I was like, yeah, that's exactly the eclipse energy. It's always kind of interesting when I have, I mean, this happens, I guess, fairly often, but when you have several clients come to you with the same, like going through the same things and I'm like, oh, this must be an astrological situation. (laughs) Yeah. It is so weird how that works because as an astrologer, I mean, obviously it makes sense on a, on a level, but you know, I'll get a series of readings come through in a week that are all about the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like all, you know, struggling with um, whatever is most difficult in the sky at the moment. And um, yeah, this eclipse I've been seeing repeatedly, repeatedly. And I think it's because it is the, it's the opening, you know, it's the beginning. And I think one of the qualities of eclipses is that, um, we can't see where they're going and eclipses on k2 tend to be more associated with things that need to get removed so that we can move forward whereas eclipses on rahu which we'll have at the end of october those tend to illuminate our desires and illuminate things that we want and i feel like very frequently in eclipse season there can be this feeling of like something is beginning i'm finally you know, getting what I've wanted, or I'm finally starting something, or I'm finally making a change. And oftentimes, it doesn't end up working out the way that we think. Um, And what it's really doing is just illuminating the, the need or the desire or the attachment. And it takes sometimes a full year and a half of eclipses to make clear what is actually happening. Is there anything that you think we can do to prepare for like the series as a whole or anything that we can do initially that might um, help us use the whole thing more productively that whole year and a half? Um, I think it's really hard to say for like a, a big group, like for, I mean, broadly than everybody. But I think that, um, so this, this eclipse series is occurring on the Aries Libra axis, right? And Aries is the self. Um, it's the spring equinox, the sign of the spring equinox It's ruled by Mars. It is coming into bloom. It is, uh, taking individual action. It's sort of birthing something new. Um, it's a cardinal sign. It is, um, initiatory. So it's initiating the, the fruits of our desires, right? Like I want this thing and I'm going to go out and get it. That's, that's Aries. And it has a very individualistic, um, orientation. It's not really a sign of the group or it's not a social sign. It's like, who are, who am I in the world and what is my journey and and what am I, what steps am I taking to 
um, to achieve what I want. Whereas Libra is how, how do we service the whole? How, how, do, how are we in service? How are we, what, what does everybody need? How do we keep balance? So when we're on the Aries Libra axis, we're thinking about the self in relationship to others. Um, and I, what I see with this series is, um, Rahu and Aries with Chiron. So what do we feel like we've Chiron, right? Chiron highlights our wounds. Um, traditionally he's considered to be like the wounded healer. I honestly don't, I don't totally resonate with that signification only because I don't often see like the healing part coming through, but <laughs> I, have, I, do... I have much to say about this. If you want to take the time to do. So. <laughs> I know I we should to... talk about, about Chiron. Do you um, want to finish your thought first and then. We'll... Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. But I think, I think a, a pattern of this eclipse series though is going to be tied to Chiron in this, the crossing over of, of Rahu and Chiron and the co-presence in Aries because Rahu increases. It, it represents our, what we want and it's sort of insatiable hunger. Right. And he's going to come into, um, into a conjunction and have a co-presence with Chiron, which typically in, in my experience highlights places where we don't, feel uh good about ourselves usually chiron just like distorts the self-perception in a really bizarre way where it's like we're convinced that we're not good enough in this place in our life and and that's particularly um potent for the natal chart so where chiron was when you were born but transiting chiron is going to highlight wounds and insecurities um and Rahu is going to take those wounds and insecurities and um, do a bunch of things, probably increase our attachments to them, which I think Tess can speak to um, very clearly, um, but also make make us feel them more intensely. Um, so that kind of makes me feel like some of this Eclipse series is going to be about trying to overcome or redefine our relationship to our wounds and our insecurities in order to be able to find our place um, in the world and our purpose and our journey. But because it's the Eclipse series is on Aries and Libra, it's like, how do we find our place and pursue our desires in the social context? Um and probably a little bit of a battle between um, what do I want and what does the world need from me? Um, I, th I think those will be big themes in this eclipse, um, this eclipse series. So for the next 18 months. So I think we can prepare by thinking a little bit about um, about what we want and how we want to be seen in our culture and how we want to relate to our friends and how we want to relate to society. Um, and then what are the, what are the blockages? Like what are the insecurities that are holding us back? 
I know that this is, or I don't know, maybe this is an unrelated transit happening on Friday, but is that kind of like potential no, no, it's preview? It's of... not unrelated. Oh, it's yeah. not. It's just kind of, it's like the beginning yeah. of this whole thing. Okay. Interesting. So it's not an eclipse. So I can't call it an eclipse because it's not an eclipsed full moon, but it is in a full, it's a full moon in that sign where the eclipses are going to be. So yeah, absolutely. It's wrapping, it's sort of like an opening, (laughs) um, an opening gesture to this, this whole theme. So if you're wondering what your insecurities are, you might find out on Friday. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that is very true. And, you know, again, these are all like big themes. So it's not going to be, it's not going to be equally important to everybody. Um, not everybody's, you know, primary life purpose is not connected to Aries, but the sign of Aries has this theme of you in the world, initiating, doing things. Um, there's a competition to it. There's this sort of birthing the ego into the world and going after what you want theme. So, um, depending upon where it falls in your chart, these are uh, these are the broad sort of concepts that I think will come up with this eclipse series. And I think it's interesting that the first, you know, this month, this eclipse is happening in Libra, but Mars is in Libra, who's the ruler of Aries, right? So that's indicating that this, that Mars and Mars's work of pushing our desires into the world of pushing our action into the world is going to be a big theme throughout this entire, this entire series of eclipses. So far, this sounds a lot better than the previous two eclipses. So I'm like, this is great. (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah. I think Chiron will just make us feel sort of sad about it a lot. But um, I don't know, maybe this is uh, the opportunity for Chiron to show me the like, the wounded healer part. I don't, I just have the hardest time, like figuring that out. I mean, I understand it, like, hypothetically. So Chiron is this son of Kronos and Rhea. And he's like, no, not of Rhea. It's like an affair that Kronos has with someone else. And he's like, permanently injured somehow and but he is also like an a celestial teacher he's an astrologer he's um a healer and the idea is like you know his wounds give him the wisdom to heal others so he's the wounded healer and that's his sort of archetype in the sky um and i think you know some people have drawn a lot of meaning out of that in terms of chiron being a place where we can become healed so that we can heal others. Um, I just so very consistently see it as a place of insecurity, which feels different to me than this wounded healer archetype. So I don't really, I don't really get it, but, and it's interesting. We did a group meditation on Chiron ones and I asked Tess, I was like, intuitively, like, what do you see? Like, with Chiron and you I think you said like he just looks like a big seeping wound (laughs) yeah oh that's right I don't remember that but yeah I remember now I just I can't agree with you more and I'm trying to decide how much context I have to give in order to explain why I agree with you 
but um like a lot of western astrology and a lot of other um spiritual subject matter that's popular in the west um there's like a cultural orientation toward it and that i'm just going to generalize as like a new age orientation um and a lot of it is very similar to um like christian culture so the way that a lot of american christians orient toward christianity and a lot of the way that a lot of us orient toward like capitalism and um you know like these different cultural elements have all fed into one another to create um a really common way of relating to spirituality and so one of the uh one of the things about new age very or at least very common in the new age is this idea that um if you believe the right things and you say the right things and you think the right things and you hang out with the right people you reach salvation yeah right and that's like all you have to do um and and for a lot of new age folks like salvation is healing it is um enlightenment Mm. it is endless bliss states sometimes it's like authority or um love or bliss or recognition but it's it's very much like a a belief-based system and also very much like a desire-based system um okay so that that's one part of so it's (laughs) like you're saying that the christian orientation of like believing the right thing doing the right thing being with the right people being part of the right group in order to achieve salvation is like overlaid on the new age, but the salvation part of it is not like heaven. It's like healing bliss states, enlightenment. Yes. Or a lot of times, or sometimes material gain, right? Like a lot Ah, of times it's very specifically like material stuff. Um, And this is not a criticism of Christianity as much as it is, is just a criticism of Western culture in general. Um, Yeah. But it's, I think it's, I can't really explain the rest of my thought without giving that background. Um, Right. So there's kind of this belief that as long as they do this, they're always in the process of healing. So if Mm -hmm. anything ever comes up in the skies or in life or in, you know, anything that could be a challenge or could be an emotional place, um, it's or like difficult group dynamics um, that it will automatically lead to their salvation slash healing because they're oriented toward believing that it will automatically happen um to the extent that a lot of spiritual groups will like put people into kind of i don't like this word very much but like toxic group dynamics like crafted Mm -hmm. bad group dynamics with the assumption that it's good for you to work them out in here like it's in part here. of the journey to like yeah. yeah like they'll be like this is great you're gonna work all this out and it's you know there's not really a lot of thought as to do these people have the tools to do so will these people be re-traumatized by the situation it's just this underlying belief that it will inherently fix them mm-hmm. um and the other piece of <laughs> the other reason i agree with you is um i'm not I, I do believe that there is a lot of um, potential to take wounding and trauma, personal wounding and trauma, and to basically transform that poison into nectar. 
um, and to mm-hmm. be able to offer a lot of help and hope to people that have you know also been through it later. But the way yeah. that they usually present the archetype is like somebody who's you know got arrows stuck in their back and they're bleeding and they're got angel wings and they're guiding someone along. And so it's a very big martyr um, hmm. archetype. And it just, what it allows for is to imagine that you can remain attached to your wounds and to your wounding and, you know, remain a victim and yet still gain this position of authority, hmm. which is an an incredibly American ideal. Hmm. Why do you think people want to remain attached to their, like, what, what do you mean by that exactly? Well, you, you know, we all get something out of, you know, anything that we're attached to. Um, And so a lot of times um, we develop survival and coping mechanisms as a result of our traumas, which are ideal, you know, at the time. But then later yeah. on, they're not necessarily the correct thing in in every context. But you can identify with it very strongly. Like, oh, no, I'm just like this. Or I'm smarter or better than, you know, X, Y, Z, or this circumstance, or this person, or this group of people, because I know this, or I do this, or I act this way. And it tends to be... Um, something that gives someone um, either like a justification, right, for Mm. either not taking responsibility for something or it gives them a sense of power over other people. Or like wisdom or something. Yeah. And it's just, which is real too. Like, you know, you've, if you've been through something or you're carrying a certain wound, you're going to have insight related to that. But it's like it's hard because a lot of the like i don't want to it's hard for me to say one is legitimate and one is not but the you know if you're on like a genuine healing path and you want to take it as far as you can eventually you do give it up like you do Mm. give up that insight you do give up whatever you learned or whatever action you learned and sometimes it comes back but in a from a different perspective and then it's like a lot more solid um but as long as you're like stringing it it's like part of the same piece of uh, jewelry or tapestry it's almost even if and it's interesting because it's like even if you're correct even if it is technically wise or technically the right thing to do coming at it from a place of like coping or defensiveness is always going to have like the wrong quality to it Hmm. um and it's just and it's very very common in the new age to um to use healing and healing path as a way of avoiding actually giving up this stuff 
it's like a kind of a perpetual cycle of moving into the material and moving out of the material but not ever like resolving it or letting it go and it's really hard to do so i don't want to criticize anyone that's that's doing this it's really hard to find um coaches or therapists or teachers that are actually going to help you um let go of this stuff um and it behooves a lot of them for you, you to hold on to it. And out of when you say moving in and out of the material, you mean that the wounds, like moving in and out yeah. of the pain of so, the trauma. Yeah. yeah. So you basically like talk about it, move into it, relive it, go through the emotional process. Um, but you can do that, you know, many times. And even that is like a form of attachment, right? It's like, oh, I and, and it's it's hard because there are stages of healing, especially at the beginning, where you need to be able to do that and you need to learn how to do that and you need to feel like this is legitimate, this is valid, this is real. Um, but ideally, you don't get kind of stuck in that spot and eventually you start deciding like, oh, I want to do something. I want to, you know, actually move past all of this. But again, it behooves a lot of teachers and coaches and therapists for you to stay in this place because it you know, yeah. makes their profession well, more valuable to you. It's interesting because I was flipping through a book, um, which to be fair, I have not read. So <laughs> I don't want to uh, make any statements about the book, but I was flipping through a book about Chiron just in in preparation for this. Because I was like, what do people actually say about Chiron? Because I, you know, I know broadly what they say, but I don't I just have never seen it that way. So I've always just associated Chiron with like a wound that has led to an inse a pervasive insecurity that's sort of like not moved through or not really r even real necessarily, like the insecurity part. Um, frequently you'll see, you know, Chiron in the seventh house or something and people are just like, nobody would ever want to be with me. The seventh house is marriage or... Um, uh, partnership. So there could be this, this feeling, this like, deep feeling of like, just, I'm not relationship material or no one will want to be with me or something. It's like a fake, uh, untrue. It's an untrue belief <laughs> about yourself. Um, or if I see it in the 11th house, a lot of times it'll be, um, the 11th house is friends and social networks. I don't fit in anywhere. No one, no one w wants me in their group. Um, and it's clearly not true. Like this person can be very charismatic and wonderful and have many friends, but there's like this, this feeling that like they're, they don't belong in a group setting. And um, so anyway, I was like, that's just what I've come to understand it as because that's how I can use it most effectively is I'll, I'll see it in the chart and be like, oh, okay, this is like a place where people are holding themselves back with doubts and insecurities. And it's probably based on a legitimate wound that has occurred or something traumatic that happened. But now it's at this point, just sort of this like amorphous belief. And um, so anyway, I was reading this book to try to go a little or flipping through this book to try to go a little deeper. And um, this book is sort of about the wounded healer archetype. And the intro was all about the discovery of Chiron and how that happened in the 70s and how it corresponded with the new age movement and all of these healing modalities and that it got sort of like associated with that approach um, with 
with, with not even a specific approach, I think probably what you would consider new age um, healing modalities generally, which I don't even really know anything about, so I can't speak to. But Chiron got sort of wrapped into this idea of like, look at all this big um, new movement of healing um, that was associated with the 60s and 70s. Um, so I thought that I think that's kind of interesting um, that you're equating it to you're equating the wounded healer archetype to the new age, because that is sort of what this book <laughs> just said. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do see like, I think it's hard. I've, I've had a hard time before understanding you um, or like your position on this. And I think it's more clear now. And um, to me, that it's about the attachment. And I didn't understand attachments, really, to be honest, like up until maybe two years ago, like it was just an amorphous concept that didn't really make a lot of sense to me. But I feel like, hopefully, if I'm understanding correctly, what you're saying is like, you can't actually heal anyone unless you let go of the attachment that you have to the woundedness so that your insight around it can be clear and unimpacted by the, the attachment to the wound. Um, and in order to understand the attachment, you would have to, I guess, um, understand what what the attachment is uh, like associated with, like what people are getting out to, of holding onto it. And you're saying uh, it's uh, a lot of times what they're getting out of it is um, a sense of a feeling of authority. Right. Or, you know, a sense of safety or even sometimes kind of legitimate safety. You yeah. know, it's not, it, it's not like you're wrong for, you know, like, for example, feeling as though you don't belong in group dynamics or having beliefs about yourself that prevent you from feeling like you can be in relationships. It's like those probably aren't true, but there's always going to be risk in any kind of social dynamic in any kind of relationship. And it's inevitable that you're going to have you know, some kind of discomfort or pain or rejection, or you're, you know, you're yeah. going to meet the wrong people like that is inevitable. Um, so even though the narrative is not necessarily like one that is a reflection of who you are deep down, it is one that is accurately protecting you from this thing that you are terrified mm -hmm. of because of previous yeah. trauma. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, it's not the only, like, this is why I'm like, healing is so hard and it takes so long. And usually you have to kind of, especially if it happened the earlier in your life, it happened, the more angles you will probably have to hit it at because yeah. um, it's built into your system in so many different ways. But um, yeah, but understanding your attachments to these things can be a huge um uh, a huge part of the conversation or a huge part of the process of deciding like, okay, no, I really don't need to have this anymore. Or even just being like, oh, thanks self for holding on to these beliefs and keeping me safe through that thing and through all those years, but we genuinely don't need you anymore and I'm ready to let them go. Um, right. I can keep myself safe in other ways because I don't need 
I don't, I don't need this narrative anymore. I have other right. mechanisms. For right. Safety. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm, I, I'm prepared for these situations now, or I'm not in the situation that I was in before. Um, or I'm ready to go out and take the risk because the thing that I want, um, is suddenly <laughs> bearing more weight than the risk. <laughs> right. Right. So it's sort of like you actually do have to be healed to heal other people <laughs> for the most uh, part. I mean, it's, this is, sorry, now I'm thinking, I'm overly, overly thinking this, but um, I mean, it, you can't really heal anyone anyway, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> because you really, I mean, it, it's a partnership, right? So if you have like a really, 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 adept healer and someone who really really wants to be healed and there's like a compatibility between them and the way that they both work and their systems work it's, it's like yeah that's amazing um but you and, and ideally you want someone who's developed to the point that they're you know not going to um include you in any of their trauma or project any of their trauma on you which is pretty common even in um like professional helpers of all kinds. Um, but I, I also think that there's a lot of different stages of the path. And so sometimes you have someone who's in the middle of their healing journey, but they've gone through something that you're in the middle of, and they can even look back to you and say, it gets better. And yeah. it's almost like that closeness between you is even more helpful than having somebody who's like six steps further because it's right. almost like you can't really relate to them as well anymore. So I do think that um, there's a lot to offer at every stage of your development and that right. the stages of development never really end because everything is just always going to continue and we're just going to keep hopefully getting better and better as we go. Um, but but yeah, but the uh, the new age and the pop psychology um cultures which are you know very much intertwined are not supportive of that actual development right they're kind of supportive mm. of moving into the feeling and mm. validating the feeling and then justifying any personal actions you feel you need to take as a result of that feeling as a result of that experience mm. and then letting it settle and then having it kind of surge up again i mean and you see this with um I, I mean, you haven't, you'll, you'll see once you've been in the industry for more years, <laughs> I don't want to disparage your, your practice, but it took me probably like seven years to be like, oh, it's interesting. Like I see now people like, um, just searching, they're just searching. They're just always looking for something new. They're always looking for the next thing. Um, oh, the next sort of like mode healing thing to engage yeah. the next uh, offering or something. I see yeah, what you're saying. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry. I hope that wasn't rude. I hope I'm not trying to say that your like perspective isn't valuable no, or anything, no, but no, I feel no, like no. you're also thankfully very much separate from this side of things, which is really nice. <laughs> um, yeah. I feel like very separate from, uh, I, I don't, I don't understand a lot of the culture. Like I get really confused. I, I mean, get confused sometimes. And when I say the culture, I, I guess I mean like the spirituality culture, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, like as it is presented in a lot of different um, forums, whether mm -hmm. it's social media or 
whatever yoga or I, I don't know like I don't even know how to define it because I, I feel pretty separate from it and apart from it um but even sometimes when people are talking about healing I'm like I don't even really know what you're talking about <laughs> I don't know like what are what are we healing um and you know obviously we all have trauma that needs to be resolved um and uh obviously that's really important and and all of these modalities like um and astrology can help us identify where the trauma is and um you know where you know what might be coming up for us in the next couple of years and what what karmic openings as they are related to the planets um could be opening or could be you know allowing for new pathways of healing. But I, I just think a lot of times, like when I hear the word healing, I'm just like, I actually don't know what is being talked about here. It's like too broad for me to even wrap my head around. I mean, that's a lot of the terminology that's used is just kind of a blank canvas for every individual to project some kind of ideals onto. Um it's like an, that's like another very common cultural new age thing is that um, there is no explanation and to it's almost like frowned upon to try to explain it or to have a desire mm-hmm. to explain it. It's like you should just either know because you're part of the culture or you're overthinking it or you're being negative, which is antithetical to the belief system. Um, right. It, it's difficult but it, but at the end of the day, and it's funny because um, at the end of the day, you were all lumped into that. You and I were both part of this um, from the yeah. perspective of the mainstream. <laughs> um, and there are a lot of really um, good healers, really good psychics, really good you know people doing different modalities and doing their own spiritual work that are very very genuine, or people that are on you know looking on a healing journey that are extremely genuine, extremely kind, and really um, thoughtfully and. Um, consistently moving through this stuff and they're actually doing it but but like again at the end of the day we're all lumped into this into this pool together so it can be very hard to discern between the difference (laughs) I often feel like I'm like in a I jumped into a space that I'm like I'm like I don't really know (laughs) like I'm just looking at astrology in my own way I mean I've had my teachers I've had my experiences with it and I I, you know, feel very strongly connected to it, um, in, on many levels, but yeah, the broader culture of, of psychics and astrologers and these modalities, I don't, I feel, I get confused even about what people are talking about frequently. And, um, but yeah, just keep moving forward, I guess. Um, that was like a very long digression about Chiron, the wounded healer, um, which corresponds to many uh, problematic, uh, I guess, new age healing modalities. Um, I feel like I should invite someone who really knows about Chiron to like come talk with me about it and clarify like how they use it. Because also part of it might just be like, it's not something I've focused on. So I miss, I'm like taking a really shallow uh, interpretation and misapplying it or something like that. But yeah, it is, I guess, intrinsically linked to what you're talking about. These like, even in its discovery and in its initial, um, initial interpretation, Mm -hmm. um, because that's what happens is like, 
a, a new planet or a new um, uh, planetary figure um, is discovered, then a lot of times it, that the significations of that planet get wrapped into the moment. Right. And like Pluto is a really good example because the discovery of Pluto corresponded with the atomic age. So Pluto is associated with like violent transformation, um, sort of this explosive, um, insidious energy that changes everything, even though we can't see it. So Chiron is apparently associated with the new age very strongly because of its, um, because of the timing and the initial interpretation Mm -hmm. of its um, discovery. I mean, I do think that you're correct in, I mean, this is just an intuitive opinion, but I do think that you're correct um, in the sense that it can highlight, you know, really deep insecurities and wounds, and especially if um, they're the kinds of things that you don't like to think about all the time. Right. Yeah. Like, and then they can surface up or even like the things that maybe, you know, that they're wrong, but you still carry them somewhere and they come up. And it's like, yeah, I guess I, I view almost all astrology like this, where it, it's not, sometimes it'll kind of um, tell us what's going to happen, but a lot of times it's more of like an opportunity or like an opening for something to happen. Um, yeah. And Chiron might just be one of these like opportunities or openings that you have to more actively intentionally engage with in order to get to that resolution bit um yeah but it sounds like it sounds like this is potentially a really good time for that like with the and and this is watch this is me being an astrologer right now i have no idea what i'm talking about but we got this situation (laughs) where we've got libra and rahu and chiron and so it's gonna be like really an aries so it's gonna be like really wanting to find balance plus this little bit of like personal insecurity that holds us back and Aries wanting us to move forward. So it seems like a pretty good time to address a lot of healing stuff. And you can correct me now. Yeah, no, no. I think, I think that's exactly right. I think that it Chiron is going to highlight a wound that we feel along this self other access um, and an insecurity that's holding us back from taking action in the world in whatever part of that, life or whatever part of the life represents Aries in your chart. So if you're Aries rising, it's like, like everything in your life. Um, you know, if you're a Sagittarius rising like me, that's your fifth house. So that's like create creative work and children. And so it just depends on where for you, Aries is like the sixth house of like, you know, uh, for you, Tess, um, Aries is the sixth house. So that's, um, the sixth house is the house of pains and the asses. It's like things that we have to do every day. Um, our, our health, Ooh. our daily routine, stuff like. So it's it's a a place where Chiron, like a transit of Chiron or something, can highlight something a lot more uh, specific and direct, like uh, needing to get dental work or yeah. needing. Yeah, <laughs> that's gonna be my journey, which is yeah. great. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it just depends on where you, where you, where it falls in the chart. But this, this month, October is a major activation of these, of this 
dynamic in this mm-hmm. theme to play out for 18 months. So whatever we think it is now, it will transform into something else, but it's really it's really helpful to pay attention to what comes up, what comes up on the new moon Friday, what comes up during the eclipse, because um, we're clearing something out to make way for a journey or progress that needs to happen. Yeah, so. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see how that ends up looking not like my ideas, because yeah. I have some ideas and I've got a couple kind of obvious things like the dental work that I've got um coming up through november like a lot of dental work but um yeah beyond that i don't know what the next it's hard to imagine what the next 18 months is gonna look like but i am from like sorry about the siren behind me no no i live jeffrey has assured me that many successful podcasts have both (laughs) children and sirens behind them so we shouldn't worry about it um great um but I, uh, I I feel so much better about this window of time intuitively than I have for like, like that window of time between like 20 at the beginning of 2020 and like halfway through this year, you know, I had very much of an attitude of like, we're going to make the best of it. Just remember that everything's going to change and we're going to be okay. And just, yeah. do, you know, be kind to yourself. Be very forgiving of yourself during this time. Like, I did not have a lot of, like, um, a strong sense of, like, being able to accomplish things in the world or to be able to, um, like, a, a lot of it was about, like, trying to cultivate inner happiness and inner peace because it was, like, inaccessible from yeah, the world the outside you're talking about 2020 to like 2022 right yeah about, mostly like yeah. i really did not have a lot of intuitive optimism about that window of time i was like just do your sadhana just keep you know doing your best like but now when i look at when i'm looking at the next next year and i guess 2025 is a little bit further away but 2024 looks like oh we're gonna be able to make things happen in the world again it's yeah. very exciting. So I am very optimistic about this eclipse season, even if it's emotionally difficult. Yeah. Well, that kind of makes sense with Rahu moving into Aries, right? Because Aries is the spring equinox. It tends to be, in most astrological systems, considered to be the first sign of the zodiac. So it's almost like we are bringing our desire tangibly back into the place where things begin, you know, and come into materiality. And Rahu is the sign of like, you know, Rahu is the, um, not a sign, but the the node or the, the figure in the sky that really grasps and wants, you know, and Aries is where we begin. So it does kind of feel like a new beginning to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, no, <laughs> I was just thinking when you were talking about how your, your lack of optimism in 2020 and 2022, and I will never forget <laughs> when the pandemic started in like, I guess it was March of 2020 when everything shut down. <laughs> I asked you like, I, I and I was like delusionally. I, I'm I can't. I, I must be not have been the only one who didn't think it was gonna last for like multiple years. <laughs> but I, you know, in my head, I was like, oh, this will be a couple weeks or like maybe a month or two, and then you know it'll resolve. 
and I remember I asked you, I was like, Tess, when is this going to end? And you like very calmly, you were like, oh, you know, in a couple of years. Are you kidding me? And you're just like, yeah, no, no, it'll be okay. But yeah, no, it's, it's going to be around for a few years. <laughs> <laughs> my head just like exploded i was like tess is always right but she has to be wrong about this this cannot this is not an option i'm not always <laughs> right um but it is funny that i was right about that it's, it's, you know what's funny is when i'm right about things that i would prefer to not be right about I'm yeah like, oh, i hope i'm wrong about that one and then i <laughs> yeah yeah no that was a sad time but yeah no 2023 we're bringing stuff back into the world the rahus and aries Getting this eclipse series, this eclipse series. Um, I so okay. So back on track. October. the The eclipse is October fourteenth, and I do think that's like the primary signature of this month. There are other things happening. Um, you know, Venus is clearing, um, currently clearing the degrees of her retrograde that occurred in August. We sort of talked about that on our our last weekly podcast. Um, like what what do we want to carry into this new venus cycle that came up during the um the venus retrograde but we're also seeing you know certain things that you know a lot of astrologers have predicted and make make sense like the the writers um like the hollywood writers just came to an agreement with the studios last night and so there's a certain like the big events of the retrograde are going to start hopefully resolving, right? Because Venus is now moving back over those signs in a forward direction or those degrees in a forward direction. So it's like pinging the stuff that was coming up or blocked during the retrograde. So you might see like in the Leo part of your life, things starting to resolve and gaining, gaining strength back. Um, and the same with Mercury, you know, Mercury is moving through Virgo now, um, at, like resolving issues That's, of the retrograde. Is that my mouth? Your what? <laughs> like Mercury is associated with speech, at least in Vedic, a lot of my context oh, is yeah. Vedic. So a lot of the difficulties I have with them um, that I'm going to be addressing dentally might affect my ability to speak more clearly. Oh yeah. And, and project, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of where you have Virgo in your chart. You're like, I'm going to do this. Um, oh, yeah, the 11th house. Oh, that's interesting. So it's like your your mouth is getting healed so you can project more clearly um, onto to your audience, right? So the 11th mm. house is your audience. Um, I think <laughs> that's really funny you say that because like when I was editing the last two podcasts, I have to turn Tess's audio like hundred percent up and mine like down 50% because she speaks so quietly. So um, yay for, for dental work and Mercury going direct. Yeah. It's um, exciting. I'm sorry if I interrupted you in the middle of a thought. No, no, no. Go for it. Um, but it is, it is interesting to me because um like at first I was like, oh, of course, now that we started a podcast, I'm going to start doing all this dental work that's going to potentially impact my ability to speak or sound clear. Um, but then I was like, oh, but of course, because they're both related. And, you know, it's like, this is what's interesting about astrology is when you can see like 
these chart placements and then all these little manifestations of what's there. So for me, um, like my voice is like a lifelong difficulty, like speaking up, like speaking up enough or being loud enough. And, um, and it's always been like a point of criticism again in the new age community, um, as either like an emotional issue or a spiritual issue. And it's really Mm. interesting now to be finding out that it's like a medical issue and I could discount the other assessments, right? I could say like, oh no, it's a medical issue, not a spiritual or emotional issue, but it's like, oh, but actually it's all of those things. And it's just that I have this placement (laughs) that makes like all those like it, it just manifests in all these different ways, which I think is really um, kind of one of the fun things about astrology. Um, and, and also, yeah. and especially like backtracking astrology, like, right, like looking at someone's life and then just being like, huh, they do this and they do this and they do this. And then being like, oh, it's because they've got this placement that links all of them together. Yeah. yeah and, and different components of the placement would highlight it at different times. So not, they won't, be obvious necessarily all at once um so yeah but yeah this is a this is a time i think of like straightening out the summer (laughs) um and straightening out the issues that came up and the blockages that came up in the summertime as we hurdle into eclipse season that's about to sort of initiate new a new series of changes um but in the same way that we're start like um we're getting the first eclipse in libra we're we're hurtling forward with a new series of eclipses on a new axis at the end of october we finish the eclipse series that started in 2021 so that really traumatic eclipse series that you always remember that you feel like was like um worse than any eclipses should possibly be mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the um scorpio taurus axis mm-hmm. and um part of the reason why those eclipses were so bombastic or, or felt so big is because they were um in conversation with uranus who's in taurus right now and uranus just sort of like adds a lot of Shakti and power, uncontrollable Shakti, uncontrollable power to everything it touches. So it brings a lot of surprises and disruptions. So that Eclipse series, I think, felt especially difficult and disruptive, especially for someone like Tess, who is a Scorpio rising. So it's also in your first and seventh house, um, which are really active places in the chart. So... um, yeah, I think that while the first half of October will feel sort of like unsteady, what's going to happen? Something's got to give. I got to change something. I have to alter some part of my relationship to part of my life, or I have to make an actual material change that's uncomfortable. I think the end of October, which brings the um, lunar eclipse in Taurus, um, I think that might feel a lot better in the sense that um, we're, we're bringing something to a close, you know, something that's been going on since, see, I wrote it down, the first 
eclipse of that series was in um, November 19th of 2021. Um, So we are opening a new series and closing an old one. And so, but the closing energy comes toward the end of October and we get a big lunar eclipse with Jupiter. Mm. Um, And so we, those Taurus and Scorpio eclipses all occurred before Jupiter moved into Taurus. And so now we're closing the series with a lunar eclipse with Jupiter there, which should bring like some supportive and integrating energy. It's a retrograde Jupiter and retrograde Jupiter coheres and integrates. So my hope is that for a lot of people will feel like, oh, this, this chapter of my life for better or worse is sort of coming to either a close or cl- coming into clarity. Um, and it, it's always interesting to go back and look at what started. Um, like you could just go back to, yeah, November of 2021 and be like, what, what was going on then that now feels like it's coming into some sort of resolution. And depending upon where it falls in your chart, it could be a big resolution or it could be a, a spiritual, like, you know, an internal resolution or, emotional or anything in between but um that's always an interesting exercise and it can give you a sort of a window into understanding the eclipses a little bit better i think what i do to remember if i can't remember what was going on in that window of time is i go through my albums on my phone to look at photographs because a Mm -hmm. lot of times that'll help me remember what was going on um, I think, I don't know, I feel very, I've already said this, but I feel really good about this window. Do you think um, it's accurate to generalize um, like the end of 2019 to somewhere in 2024, I guess, or maybe beginning of 2025 um, as almost like a rebirth and then reintegration process where it's like it started with this like disintegration and then we had to go through a window of like actualization where we had to really reconsider who we wanted to be and what we wanted to be doing and now we have to confront things that are still standing in the way of being that person um and then it's like new opportunities and new kind of um like a new way of um interacting with the world that's going to be supportive and recognized by the world you mean like astrologically yeah Um, is that not is that too (laughs) no i don't think it's i don't think it's not correct i just don't like i think that 2020 like let's look at 2019 because that is when everything started to feel like really wonky i remember at the end of 2019 people were like asking me like is 2020 going to be better because this was such a terrible year i remember that now oh gosh yeah and i had to tell a lot of people no i totally remember that Yeah. And I was like, no, 2020 looks like it's going to be pretty (laughs) resoundingly terrible. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I actually wanted to stop doing readings that year, like entirely, because I felt like all I was doing was delivering bad news. 
Yeah, I got a lot of texts like in the spring of 2020 that were like, what the hell? Like, what? <laughs> Screw you. You made this happen by saying it was going to be bad. I was like, I did not make it happen by saying it was going to be bad. Saturn and Pluto made it happen. <laughs> and I just knew that they were going to have the conjunction. But yeah, no. So 2019. Um, yeah, I mean, 2019 was when Saturn and Pluto really started to like get close you know like that conjunction started heating up um and that is like <laughs> the di- like you said the dissolution of structure and I, so i think probably a lot of what you're saying has to do with the saturn cycle um okay. like the saturn cycle through the zodiac so saturn really does like represent sort of like the rules of the culture the rules of society the like expectations the the boundaries um the foundations to a lot of extent uh, to a lot of extents and so when saturn and pluto make a conjunction like they did in early 2020 um right you know as covid was taken off um it's the saturn rules structures boundaries interacting with pluto who is sort of like dissolution like violent chaotic Mm -hmm. (laughs) just breaking up of structure of 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 of, um transformation you know so those the transformative the relentless un um apologetic transformative energy of of pluto colliding with the planet that holds the structure and the rules and the boundaries so 2019 was like a build up to that um and people were really i think feeling it coming um and then we had the actual conjunction in 2020 right as the pandemic was taking off and then you know everything that the way that we interact with the world the structures that we come to rely on all fell apart and then we had the saturn jupiter conjunction at the very end of 2020 and and that sort of colored um and that was in Aquarius and that sort of colored the next couple of years, which was like this Aquarius question of like, how do we build something better? You know, like how do we, how do we reimagine what the world should be? Um, and there was this sort of uh, square that was occurring between Saturn and and Uranus during those two years, like two and a half years. So 2021 through spring of 2023. And so that was just sort of like imagination time. Like um, we're like imagining how to reemerge into the world, not really fully knowing what, what the structure should be. Um, the part that I'm not like the part of your assessment that mm-hmm. I don't necessarily see astrologically is the emerging into a world where we're going to be supported. Um, oh. Like I feel like right now Saturn's in Pisces and everything is just like, we don't know what it is anymore. <laughs> like whatever we imagined is not necessarily what's coming to fruition, but now like we're just gonna try to discover what it should be and we're we're in the soup you know but the soup feels a lot better to me (laughs) than the previous couple of years so um i definitely you know and not everything 
the heavens can be linked to Saturn, obviously. Um, but I hear your optimism. I feel it. I don't know what necessarily astrologically is corresponding to that feeling of support um, in a big way because the drama of the last couple of years with the outer planets sort of just like, I don't know, it took so much of my astrological energy, like just trying to make sense of these big, big outer planet conjunctions that were sort of ripping the world apart. Mm-hmm. And now we're, we're coming back to like, you know, more personal astrology. We're looking at, there's, there's nothing so dramatic in the sky and it's sort of like back to normal. And what does back to normal look and feel like, mm-hmm. you know? And hopefully it's just the coming back to normal that is what's supporting their reemergence into the world and just the the removal of really big um, obstacle forming conjunctions like Saturn and Pluto, like Saturn and Uranus squaring. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm trying to think if I, I mean, I guess it just feels like there's opportunities now, whereas before it was like, very few opportunities or very few things were going to work out or like it didn't matter how hard you worked on, you know, your business or something or, um, how create, you know, it was just kind of like these giant roadblocks that were keeping you. And, And it was like a very, um, like, like you can't, go over it you can't go around it you know like there's not an answer there isn't an action you're not wrong you didn't do anything wrong it's just like these huge roadblocks and now it feels like there's more opportunities um i i think that's quite from an astrological perspective i feel like that's quite simply just like the removal of the obstacles yeah like um or the resolution of them to a certain extent. Like, obviously, there's still COVID, there's still issues, and there's so many issues we're going to have to face culturally to yeah. repair what's happened and what's yeah. been done. But it's like Saturn and Pluto only can join like every like 36 years or something. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge deal. It's like a huge deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's like a sort of generally generationally unique conjunction that just ripped the fabric of our society apart um followed very closely by another fairly um you know not as um more frequent than saturn pluto but also very disruptive the saturn uranus square so yeah, I, I just think that the outer planets just like had us in a headlock for a couple of years, and mm-hmm. now and as in the contrast kinda... of it, just feels supportive, even though it's yeah. more of a neutral. Oh. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that would be my best response to your question. Um, I guess I just also. It, it, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I. It, all I was going to say is that like some the difficult planets tend to move a little slower too, so. Um, I feel like difficulties, astrological difficulties and obstacles can last a really fucking long time, whereas the opportunities tend to move more quickly, you know, Mm -hmm. and maybe they're more frequent too, but 
um, they, they don't tend to be as long lasting. I guess I just, one of the things that I saw a lot of in 2019 and 2020 was um, like disappointment that people couldn't draw support from their communities. Mm. Like from the people that usually would want, like could, would show up or would want to show up for them. And it was because everybody was slammed. Like everybody didn't have the space. Everyone was juggling their own thing and couldn't show up for other people. And um, it's really, it was really hard because I think that even if it was just like very frustrating and I think people were trying to not feel resentful or um, like take it personally because even, you know, they knew that everyone was having a hard time, but it was still just like this state of disbelief. Like how is everybody I know unavailable for me having this emergency? Like how are we all having a collective emergency? Um, And I, I think that that is like going away. And so you know, it's like, like you said, it'll be more personal. So, um, individuals will have like, like all of our difficulties when we need help will not be happening simultaneously. So we'll be able to draw support from our communities again, and we'll be able to reach out and ask for help and there will actually be able, like people able to like join together and, um, support you with work or, you know, whatever it is you're doing, like small communities forming again. Um, it just seems like everyone's going to have a lot more individual space um, to be yeah. some kind of support network, which I know can be very, very challenging to find. Um, but if you're lucky enough to be tapped into something, it's like, okay, that's going to be accessible again. That's so interesting because um, I, it's making me think about the Aries Libra eclipses in a bigger way than I was thinking about them before. Um, because it really is, it really does feel like the individual emerging into a functional collective, hopefully again. (laughs) Um, and what does that look like in each of our lives? What does that look like on the global scale? How are we relating to people as individuals again? How are we relating to groups? How are we relating to the culture? Um, and it doesn't, it's not configured, these eclipses are not configured to any big outer planets. There's no Uranus throwing Shakti around. There's no Pluto exploding things. Um, although Pluto is at the bendings of, at the bending, so he's adding a little bit of juice, but not not the same kind of juice that was wrapped into the last series of eclipses. So hopefully it'll just be, it'll do exactly what the eclipses are supposed to do, which is realign a part of our life. Like, uh, yeah, make everything realign. Realign is a good word. I don't need to find another word. (laughs) I love you so much, Tess. I hope you feel better. Um, Thank you. I love you too. Thank you for um, answering all my um, not totally intelligent questions and um, for setting all this up and for doing so much work um, with the editing and with the software. I really can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking care of all this. Thank you. And your um, questions are always intelligent. And your, oh, thank you. But your insights, I mean, this is super, super helpful and um 
uh, yeah, I know that everyone really enjoys your perspective and the way you talk about it. So thank you for bringing all this to us and putting this all out there. Thank you. For, for pushing into the discomfort that is doing a podcast, because I think it's really nice. So thank you. Thank you. And thanks to everyone who's given us feedback so far. We'll just keep pushing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be in Nepal, so we won't record anything in October, but we'll be back in November and uh, mm -hmm. go from there. Oh, do you mind if I mention the the healing days oh, that no, I'm doing no, in October? Yeah. Um, so every month I'm doing like a big group healing thing that um, involves a lot of my personal practice. And it's supposed to last for the entire month. Like it's kind of like I work on everybody for the whole month. Um, and then next month I'm going to do it twice before each eclipse just to help smooth everything out. Um, and this is different than a lot of the work that I do because I'm not um, trying to initiate any change whatsoever. Um, so I'm not trying to resolve trauma or push spiritual development forward. I am just doing things to make things feel peaceful and nice. So um, yeah, I'm not very good at uh, advertising or talking about myself so thank you for listening <laughs> no but like um yeah no the 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 healing days have been well you've only done one so far of this variety and i found it to be extremely smoothing and helpful um so how can people sign up for it um so we can i can put the link i think on substack oh, yeah, okay i think um or we can send it out in the email um and it's just a link to um like the donation page because I just put all the information there. It's a $25 suggested donation that will include you in both sessions yeah. this month. Um, you can also find it on our website at intercurrents.com. And, uh, and I have a huge amount of written material that I could post on either the website or the donation page if you think that I should, Christina. <laughs> as my I professional think because it's really clarifying to like, for people to see what you're actually okay. doing um it's almost like okay. a little tessie puja <laughs> yeah it's like a long like i do mantras and i do I, it's interesting because i've i've really withheld a lot of my personal practice in my work with other people because i don't want to impose that on anybody or um you know, it's, it's mine. It's what I do. It helps me do my work, but it's not my work. And I think everyone's individual orientation is really important. Um, but this is, it's like, you know, the heart center meditation that I learned really long time ago and mantra repetition that I learned from Jeffrey and, um, I make offerings to the Navagraha, which is like the astrological stuff and, um, Dekajati, who's my Ishtadevata. So I've, it's a lot more personal than a lot of my other work has been so far. And yeah, I have a huge, the big long write-up that I'll post with that. Awesome. Yeah. So if you want more information about that, you can check out Tessie's write-up and um, where to sign up and highly recommend it. <laughs> so yeah. thank you so much. Well, yeah. Thank you for listening. Um, I will miss Christina for a month very much. <laughs> And I hope you too. <laughs> I hope you do too. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, guys. And until next time. Bye. Bye.